When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The time has finally come, ladies and gentlemen. The time that you have all been waiting for, I have all been, I have all been waiting for, we have all been waiting for, uh, but we are finally going to tackle a story that I don't want to say we've been avoiding it, but we might have been putting it off a little bit, not because it's bad, just because it's huge and epic and takes a lot of work. But we are finally going to be looking this week, starting this week, I should say, over the course of the next three weeks at the epic DC crossover known as Crisis on Infinite Earths. I could literally not do this alone. So, of course, I have, as always, my partner in comic book crime, the rambunctious one himself, Remzo Martinez. What's up, man? He's here. The Anti-Monitor is here with 12 issues that change the comic book world forever. You'd think that Secret Wars could do it. You'd think that all these other things could do it. Everything comes back to the King Daddy Mamma Jamma moment itself with the 12 issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Worlds will collide. Characters and heroes you love will fall. New opportunities, journeys, and adventures await all your favorite DC heroes in the event which crossed over them all. Mark, I have been avoiding this story. I've begged you. I've pleaded. <laughs> I've gotten on my knees and groveled. I've please. been pushing it for like a year. Like, when are we going to do crisis? When are we going to do it? Come on. And I want to go ahead and just give people some behind the scenes. Look, this was going to be the big first crossover event. We've covered little things before. We've covered some mini series here and there, but like we wanted to, we were talking like, Oh, one day we'll do secret wars, which we'll do one day. We'll do civil war and all this other stuff, final crisis, all that. But you, you can't do any of that without covering the importance of crisis on infinite earths, because this would come after uh, Marvel's secret wars, which was basically a big promotional comic event for action figures. It was still good, but that's really what it was. And it was the first time in the comic book industry, they decided to go ahead and cross over all their characters in one main limited series, but also branch out into the other books like amazing Spider-Man, where they actually took a two, three month hiatus, fantastic four Avengers, Iron Man, etc. Um, and DC was like, well, we could, we could do it better. So they were like, you know, let's go ahead and do 12 issues where we're combining all of our continuities because DC had a golden age and silver age continuity issue. Let's bring back and explain what's happened to a ton of characters that we haven't touched on for a while. Let's cross over into every book. And you know, who was the artist over there? That was George Perez who did that. Let's bring him here and let him go freaking wild. And that's what brought us this, the the comic event, as some called it, to end all comic events. Obviously, it didn't. But damn, did it set the standard going forward. Indeed. I mean, you, you said it there. You can't really look at any other huge comic events, whether they're directly related to this event, as many of the DC. Uh, there's a kind of a, a crisis trinity, I guess you might say. There, there's crisis on infinite Earths, Earth's infinite crisis. 
and um, Final Crisis. Yeah, that's basically the Crisis Trinity. There have been similar events, but they all kind of they all play on each other. Um, I guess Death Metal would kind of fall in there. Um, they all sort of play on all previous Crisis events. So to really properly cover any of those down the road, we had to cover this one. But even in the larger scope of just what crossover events are, I mean, for for even even though Secret Wars was before this, I feel like this is the one that. Yes, elements of Secret Wars kind of matter, but it was also kind of like a you know let's take a few months off and just have fun with characters battling each other in, in a in a consequence free environment for the most part. That's what it turned out to be. This is a, a crossover that actually literally changed the entire scope of the DC universe. Uh, it featured deaths that mattered, many many deaths, I should say. Uh, I mean, like in the billions, I guess if you count all the universes. Uh, and it really it has had lasting percussions repercussions, and it's an event that is constantly referenced in DC continuity. So if you're a fan of DC comics or you're becoming a fan of DC comics and you want to understand the lore more, you really can't fully grasp the DC universe, the DC multiverse, any of it without having the basis uh, that we're going to look at here in crisis on, on infinite earth earth. I'm having trouble saying infinite today. Yeah. The title crisis on infinite. The, earth. the title doesn't go. really roll off the tongue, but I mean, uh, I, I can't think of a better time to do this because we're a year out from uh, death metal, which and dark and uh, you know, dark, I don't even freaking remember. I always get them confused too. There's death metal and dark metal, death yeah, metal, dark like death metal, like all that stuff. That was a crisis event. And I, I didn't enjoy that, but you know, it also came out, uh, the pandemic ironically started around the time that the CW universe was doing. Yeah. They, we had our own crisis event. Yeah, they, they had that. It was so funny. I remember going to the comic book store before they locked us down in Virginia. And on the sign, it said, we will remain open through the crisis. So I walk in after getting all my books and I'm like, never in a million years. I think you guys would ever say you're going to remain open during the crisis. What is happening? <laughs> crisis on singular right. earths. But uh, the skies are red, but damn it, we're staying it open. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the CW shows Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, they, Supergirl, they all did their big uh, crossover Infinite Crisis event, which was pretty good. And, you know, that that had some big repercussions in terms of what the, the CW universe, the Arrow universe, as it was dubbed originally, uh, w- would go through. But, you know, they also went ahead and did something crazy and they actually brought in um, Ezra Miller, who played the Flash in Justice League and in the upcoming Flash film to cross over as himself in that series. We also saw Burt Reynolds, the original Robin from the Adam West Batman series. We saw um, who's it? not Burt Reynolds, Burt, uh, another Burt. Burt Reynolds is a totally oh, yeah, different Burt Reynolds is Burt Reynolds. Anyway, Burt, what, what's his name? Who played Robin in the Adam West Batman? We saw um, who's the guy who played Burt Ward. Burt Ward. Burt who's the Ward. guy who played the voice of Batman <laughs> in the Batman, the animated series? Um, uh, Kevin, Con- Con- Kevin, Kevin yeah, Connolly, Kevin Connolly, we, Kevin Conroy, Kevin Conroy. Uh, we all know names people. We also saw, uh, Brandon Ruth who plays the Adam in the CW universe reprises role as Superman. And what this was crazy, we call him kingdom come Superman in that event. He is actually mm-hmm. a continuation of the Richard Donner Superman. They did confirm that. So just like you explained to me that that Superman Returns movie was an extension of that, this is a version that is an extension of yes, that version. A, so this is, this is uh, Christopher yeah, Reeve. It's basically, it's basically that that was crazy. And, and then they brought back... Um, I mean, it was it was just freaking crazy. They even brought they they even brought back uh, say, uh, uh, I think it's Sam Wellington from uh, who, I, I don't know names. I'm gonna say Smallville Superman. They brought back freaking Smallville Superman. 
they they just brought back everybody. And what DC really did with that was they showed, listen, we did this first. We did this best. This shit matters. And it's going to be insane. And I loved it. And we are going to service the fans for, for six episodes. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, that's the last WB. Anything I watched was, was crisis just out of curiosity. And it, it was, Times were hokey. Like I thought the monitor was just extremely hokey, but whatever it was, it was, it was what it was supposed to be. And it was certainly fun. Oh, you'll hate what they did to Despero. I don't want to know. They, he's not an alien anymore. <laughs> yeah, don't, I, I don't need to know these things. Earmuffs, but uh, but yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to events, I mean, DC made sure to, to make their claim with this. And, uh, you know, we, we thought about how do we condense 12 issues into a full show, but it's like, listen, to give this the respect and to make you better fans and everything else, we're covering this shit in three parts. Indeed. Yes. Cause, uh, you know, our real house, as we determined is, is basically four to six issues. Probably four is a little better cause we can give more time to things. So I think that was the best way to divide this up into, uh, you know, into three episodes of four issues each. Um, and just to give a little background, this was actually started to be conceived in like the early eighties. This was, this was the brainchild of Marv Wolfman who, who wrote the series. Uh, but I mean, they had, they started planning this in like 1982. Um, and he did, it was basically to address the multiverse. Like he was, I think he was writing some book and I don't remember what it was. But he one character like I, I don't feel, I feel like it might have been Superman. I don't know. Let's just say it was. But uh, and like basically he like started he he was fighting some character that he had just teamed up with like three issues before, and then they were like, oh well, maybe that was from a, a different Earth, like Earth Two or whatever. So then, but he it made, it made him start thinking like, man, this is really confusing for like new fans, like all these different multiverses. Like we gotta we gotta make things easier, make things make more sense. So because because but prior to that, DC had really embraced the multiverse. You know, they had like Earth uh, One is basically like the current Earth. Of, of the times uh, where the characters were like normal age. And then there was also earth two, which had like the older, like forties and fifties or thirties to forties versions of the characters. So it had the justice league of uh, justice society of America had an older Superman um, stuff like that. So uh, basically this was trying to just wipe out the multiverse thing and merge everybody into ultimately at the end of this thing, one universe. And uh, that is what happened. It didn't, didn't certainly didn't say that way. And <laughs> now, now we have the exact opposite situation. Um, but yeah, this was, was the the basic idea and of course uh who could you bring on better than george perez to draw literally there have to be hundreds of characters in this Remzo. It, it's absolutely insane pretty much any character that ever appeared in, in any dc comic plus some characters that have appeared in other universes comics what was it the the charlton comics uh, characters that they brought into the, the charlton comics uh they brought in some of the I, I don't know who used to publish Shazam, Shazam, Captain Marvel. Kazan. Yeah, Kazan. Oh, Captain yeah, Marvel. Captain yeah, Marvel yeah, back yeah. when he was Captain Marvel. Uh, you know, yeah. that that was a different publisher. I mean, it was just, it, it was freaking crazy. And I mean, the, the one thing we're going to talk about a lot in this is the artwork. While Secret Wars may have, you know, happened before this, uh, George Perez, and, and he stated this, had a hard time. Uh, doing that book and Rob Liefeld talks about it in his observations comic talking about secret wars. Um, but you know, he was told by Marvel editorial and a uh, Marvel editor in chief, Jim shooter, you need to write this. You need to draw this so that when people, when kids look at the panels, they could see how they could pose their action figures. So George Perez was like, mm. I don't do it that way. And they were like, you're going to do this because Mattel or whoever was uh, doing the action figures was like, this is basically a big, 
catalog for the action figures. So he even said he had to water down how he wanted to do panels and how he was going to draw characters because of that emphasis on selling the toys. So when he came over and Marvel Wolfman was like, we're going to do this giant, crazy shit show that's never been done before. He was just like, George, I'm going to let you run loose. And I mean, the art quality between the two stories could not have been any more different. Yeah, you can really tell that George Perez had the passion for this book and really you know, th- there's so much detail as there always is with George Perez artwork. Like th- that's one thing I just love about George Perez. No matter how many freaking panels, you could have 32 panels on a page and there will be so much detail in each one. Like he leaves, he leaves nothing to the imagination in, in a good way. Um, he's just, he, he's like such a precise artist. I, I, I would say. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, he's been the inspiration for Alex, uh, Ross and so many other great artists. Um, this, this book, uh, you know, it, it it's still, a, you know, art wise, while things do certainly change of the different eras and stuff like that art wise, I mean, I would still argue that this is better quality than a lot of stuff we get even today. And he was doing this by hand. He didn't have a drawing board or, you know, a screen, a stylus. I mean, this was good old pen, paper and ink. That being said, it's time to dive right into this puppy. We are finally doing it. Crisis on Infinite Earth, again, written by Mark Wolf, Mark Wolfman. I want to make everyone a Mark like me. We don't do names here. No, we don't. Uh, Written by Marv Wolfman, art by George Perez. And this was, uh, you know, this was bandied as a 12 part, as it says right on the cover, 12 part maxi series, which um, was not that common at the time. Like usually you just had series, you know, and then eventually they ended. It wasn't, it wasn't very often you had uh, like a, a planned out 12 issue maxi series, uh, especially not one of this scope. And right off the bat, the cover's already awesome. Like before I even get into the actual book, the cover's just awesome. It shows these multiple earths, like with these sort of energy things coming from them. Some of your classic heroes, you see Superman, you see Firestorm. I don't know how classic he is, but I mean, somewhat if you're a big fan of DC or uh, Cyborg, so give him that. Yeah, he's a super friend. Fair enough. Um, and uh, this character, Pariah, who, who who we shall meet on the inside. So uh, just to point that out, I think the cover is just freaking badass. And it, it's a, it just tells you how epic this is going to be. It is actually like a two page spread cover, too, if you have the uh, the original issues here. So, I mean, it's just it's just totally badass. Um, so diving right into this book um, in the beginning, I'm going to be the universal narrator here. In the beginning, there was only one, a single black infinitude. And uh, basically what happens here, this is kind of this kind of reminded me a little bit, actually, of what we just read in in Jack Kirby's Eternals, but much better. Uh, it's basically the, the history of the DC universe. Uh, so we're pretty much just seeing like it's, it's basically yeah, it's the history of the DC universe by Marvel. So basically um, there's an explosion, I guess the Big Bang, you might call it something to that effect. And during this explosion, the multiverse was born and you see like these all these multiple Earths and these sort of like, you know, living in basically parallel realities here. And and I love how, I mean, I just love how George Perez illustrates this in art form. He's, he has kind of like these thin veils between the earths and you can just kind of like, I don't know. It just, it's just a really unique way to portray that these are like in different dimensions and they're all parallel and they're all kind of the earth we know. And they're none of them necessarily are either. Uh, one thing that always bugs me with, with any kind of multiversal story, and this is consistent in comics, in movies, whatever it may be. The earth is always the center of everything. And I guess that's just because we're humans and we live on earth and we're from earth. So we're going to write stories about earth. Yeah. But it's always like earth one, earth two. And then they refer to like, they almost refer to like the multiverse as, as just as if they are earths as like earth is the capital. So it's always about earth one or three or 17 or 32. I don't know. It just always bugs me. Why not just call them the universes? Like what makes earth so freaking special? Just because we're here. Just because us humans are here. Because we're here. 
Well, yeah, I guess. If you're not first, you're last. This is indeed Ricky Bobby true. Wisdom. Um, yes. So there is this sort of uh, mysterious narrator, and um, you know, he's saying this is the planet Earth, and, it, and in as many moments as it takes to comprehend its fate, this Earth will die. And we're just seeing slowly this version of Earth uh, being encompassed by this uh, this kind of white light here. And uh, we do learn this uh, character's name is Pariah, and he is basically just jumping from dying Earth to dying Earth. Again, it's always Earth. Why is he always on Earth? Uh, and he like jumps to these earth, he even like tries to save this one kid, but the kid just disappears into, uh, you know, into nothingness. And then right as that's happening, he's like, no, no, I want to die too. Like, let me die. Like clearly he's been trying to die for a while or wanting to die for a while. Uh, and he's, he's disappearing again, just as this earth is, is being destroyed. So basically this character will, we'll get more into his actual origin. I think they'd lay it out in like a full issue that we won't get to today, but basically this guy jumps from universe to universe, completely out of his control. And he just gets to basically, he gets the universes right at these opportune moments or miss um unfortunate moments maybe you would say uh right when these worlds are being destroyed by whatever this force is that's destroying all all these different worlds and he so he just gets to see a world die and then he whips off to go see another world die what a fucking terrible fate this guy has huh man it's like being forced to watch the 2015 fantastic four on repeat (laughs) i still i tried i finally tried to watch it and i didn't make it it's not worth it bro it's not worth it I know. I couldn't. It wasn't even bad. Good. That's you know? like, it wasn't even that's like, like Gitmo torture. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, but now we are moving to Earth three. Now, Earth three is the home of who? Remzo, who lives the on Earth? Crime three? syndicate. Dun, 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 the crime dun. syndicate who are basically just evil versions of our main DC heroes. So instead of Superman, we have Ultraman. Instead of Green Lantern, we have Power Ring, so on and so forth. And they are typically villains. But in this case, because their world is being destroyed, they are actually doing something somewhat heroic and trying to stop the world from destroying. So there's like there's like volcanoes popping up. Uh, th- you know, things are just crumbling. Like everything's just going to hell. And there's just total mayhem before this white light, which we'll learn is like antimatter, basically. Uh, absorbs these worlds. One of my guilty pleasure movies is The Day After Tomorrow with Dennis Quaid, and I always think of that movie when I see this segment. I, I'm a 2020 guy myself. Uh, 2020 with Cusack <laughs> is trash. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the whole point, but it's good trash. It's it's astra- it's right on par with Day After Tomorrow. They're both garbage films that can be I'll agree or disagree. the right attitude. All right, fair enough. Um, but uh, my, I think, who's your favorite member of the crime syndicate? Owlman. Because he's Owlman. Batman Not even and kills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's not even close. He's Thomas Wayne, but really evil, really evil, always evil. Yeah. Thomas just you know depends on what what universe he's in at the time. Yeah, so basically the crime syndicate is um oh yeah and the 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 so the because everything is reversed on Earth three so the crime syndicate are all these villains and then who is the hero of Earth three? It is of course Lex Luthor and Lex Luthor looks absolutely fucking absurd in his outfit. He has this like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It kind of looks like the guardian outfit. Um, it's, it's like this, um, the inverse of a Superman outfit, sort of it's like re- uh, red and blue. And then has just has a giant L a giant yellow L on his chest, <laughs> uh, to indicate Lex or Luther or whatever. Um, what do you think of Earth three Lex? Why Luther? is it the difference between Lex being good and Lex being bad as hair? And yeah, he's still bald, but he's got like the, he has the goatee. Yeah, like he's got that. Yeah. Like whenever Lex Luthor has hair, he's traditionally heroic. But when he doesn't have hair, he, he's evil. I think this is why I've always had trust issues of bald people. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I agree. The bald are not to be trusted. Uh, no offense to any of our um, less less hair fortunate listeners. No, 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 no. We have to we have to draw some lines. We do not tolerate the balds here. They are untrustworthy. But we will take their money. <laughs> we will take their money. <laughs> we love the balds. <laughs> we will tolerate their money going into our our, our uh, SBC checking account. Uh, but yeah, basically, Earth Three is dying uh, despite the efforts of the crime syndicate. Just like on the other Earths, they cannot really do shit to stop it. Um, and uh, so, so Luther sees like even he like he, he kind of sees the the crime syndicate helping out. So he goes to join in to help out. He sees Superwoman, who is basically Wonder Woman, uh, disappear, and he's like, "Well, shit, I guess this this world's dying. Better get home to my wife." His wife is of course Lois Lane in this universe. So I guess she's she's good in both in both uh, Earth One and Earth Three. Uh, but they have this little baby, and and he's like, "Hey, universe is dying, hun. What are we gonna do?" She's like. But what about the baby? And he's like, come with me. I got a plan. So basically, they're going to find a way to save little their little son, little baby Alexander Luther. And they put him off in a pod, somewhat reminiscent of how Superman uh, was shot off in a pod as his world was dying on Krypton. Um, some parallels there, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, as they shoot this little kid away, uh, Lex and Lois make out as they disappear and die because Earth 3 is no more. These are the first serious deaths of characters that have been seen in the comics for the last 30 or 40 years this completely wiped out the crime syndicate though of course they will return but not soon not for a while <laughs> so it was it's as close to a meaningful deaths as as we've had so far uh, and that that i would say it lasts for a decent amount of time it's a good amount of time before the crime syndicate is seen in, in dc comics again it might not even be until final crisis it's like three decades grant more yeah like i think it might not even be until until around final I, I crisis have, i have the uh I have the JLA graphic novel that took place right before Final Crisis, where Grant Morrison was the one who brought back uh, the concept of Earth Two and the crime syndicate there. And when Earth, Earth Three, three yeah. and when the crime syndicate comes back, they act like I, I won't. I won't spoil it because I want to cover that eventually. But like when they come back, they come back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, indeed. So uh, thus goes the fate of Earth Three, where meanwhile a- Alexander Luther ends up landing somewhere. And uh, spoiler alert: it is Earth One that he has been sent to. Uh, meanwhile, some dude who we don't see yet. Spoiler alert: it's the Monitor. Uh, him and this chick Lila, they're just hanging out in this satellite space station and um, watching worlds die. Basically, <laughs> they're there. They're doing what the name of the Monitor implies: uh, they are monitoring. And they're just seeing these these worlds die. And then uh, we this monitor guy is talking to this Lila chick and he wants her to retrieve this little baby Luther, this little baby Alexander uh, Luther, and also to gather these. Uh, he says, we're going to need both heroes and villains to tackle this crisis that's you know destroying all these universes here. So she turns into basically Lila turns into Harbinger and Harbinger is a combination of all the versions of Lila from across the multiverse merge into one. So when it's Harbinger, it's all of them when it's lila it's just this one that's hanging out with monitor confused yet well unlike i mean it kind of reminds me of some of my ex-girlfriends of split personalities so <laughs> but they'll never admit it it's just a rough day. and they're the most dangerous and powerful they're the most dangerous and powerful when, when, when all the split personalities are complaining at once when they have their wits about <laughs> Yeah, so basically now Lila goes off. Um, it's kind of heist movie time. It's where we're going to collect, we're going to gather the team together. And boy, is this some kind of obscure team. And we there's going to be a lot. music in the background. Dun, dun, yes, dun, 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 there's going to be... Dun. 
There's going to be a lot of uh, me tossing to you here, Remzo. So I hope you're ready for a little bit of a speed round because first up, we go to the jungles of Africa where we where we actually go to an Africa known only to a few. This is Gorilla City, which is ruled by the somewhat benevolent king, it seems, King Solovar. Remzo, what can you tell me about King Solovar? King Solovar first appeared in the pages of The Flash. This is where you'll get certain characters such as... Uh, uh, Gorilla Grodd and others, uh, the Prime Simeon, who are all these evil ape villains. Prime, Prime Simeon, Simeon, I love that name. And um, basically, it's a city run by, um, you know, basically super intelligent apes, but because they're afraid of, you know, the, the world of man, which is constantly warring with each other and destroying the planet, they went ahead and basically pulled a Wakanda, and they made their city invisible, and nobody's allowed in. And King Solvar is a uh, gentle king, and his super high skill is the getaway driver. I'm joking. He's just cool. <laughs> All right. So uh, um, as King Solivar, Solivar is delivering a, a very kind verdict to a ascended, uh, an ape here, uh, he is visited by Harbinger, who just grabs him and they zip off. So they're, they've gone somewhere. Uh, next up is Dawnstar. Ramzo, what can you tell me about Dawnstar? Dawnstar is hot. Dawnstar <laughs> is from the future. <laughs> and Dawnstar has wings. And Dawnstar is part of Perfect. the Legion of Superheroes. That's all you need to know. She does have a smoking, smokingly seductive outfit. I God say. bless you, George that Perez. Yes, Who God we, bless you, last man. week learned is still alive. <laughs> uh, we're, so we're, we're obviously going across uh, both different worlds and different times. So we, you know, we gone to King Solovar, who I think was basically from the president, the present of Earth One. Now we're going to um, the Legion of Superheroes 30,000 years in the future, which I think is still Earth One, but in the future. We then, though, go to uh, 1942 on Earth Two, where Harbinger collects Firebrand. Um, I don't know anything about Firebrand. I, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to tee you up. But do you know anything about Firebrand? Firebrand does not matter. That's what I thought. <laughs> Firebrand does not matter. Yes, that, that's a good summary of her. Uh, meanwhile, we do kind of see while all this is going on, I, I just put in my notes, someone evil is watching. <laughs> that, that's all we know. But someone someone is watching these events unfold that is not the monitor, and someone is doing that uh, with quite a bit of interest. Uh, we then meet Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle. Ramzo, what can you tell me about Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle? Ted Cord is Batman if Batman was stupid. <laughs> Perfect. Moving on. Uh, we then, uh, she then goes back again in time. I think this is like 30,000 years in the past. And uh, she is like there to get this guy, Arion, who is basically like some, some fucking Atlantean wizard, essentially. Uh, but while all she's trying to do that, she sees something. She sees some kind of like shadowy creature. And she says like, what? Not you. No. It, it's far. So she kind of takes off and goes somewhere else at first. She's like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll come back to that guy later. She then goes and shows up. This is now on Earth 2 in the present. Uh, uh, again, so Earth 2 is like the home of older Superman, of the Justice Society, etc. Uh, she goes to recruit uh, Roger Hayden, a.k.a. the Psycho Pirate, and she does uh, provide him with his his Medusa mask, which is what uh, provides him his powers and also kind of drives him completely insane. Remzo, what can you tell me about the Psycho Pirate? I don't really know. All right, fair enough. He has the Medusa mask, though, and it, and he can and he controls him. So this might be one for me. The psycho pirate is Roger Hayden at some point for somehow some reason. I'm not sure how he found and came into possession of the Medusa mask. The Medusa mask allows him to control and manipulate the the emotions of others while he also basically gets high on that. So the more he controls the emotions of others, the more he kind of like gets super high on it and like starts to lose his own mind in it. So hence the psycho pirate. Oh, so he's like the media. Yes. Yes. He's the mainstream media. Essentially, okay. Is, is 
what the psycho pirate is. I got is. you now. We that somewhere somewhere along the way through the narration here. Oh uh, no, she also goes in and does. Uh, f- she does finally go back and fetch this uh, this Arion character as well. She like saves him when he's falling down an iceberg or some shit, and and collects him too. Um, also, she goes and collects. Um, uh, so so basically, Firestorm is. Uh, this is on Earth One now. Firestorm, who is comprised of two people, merged into one: some teenager and this professor guy. Uh, we're not going to go into all that whole thing. Uh, along with Killer Frost, if you want to know some version of their origins, you can watch them on the Flash, the early seasons of the, of the WB Flash. Uh, but he's battling Killer Frost, and um, basically um, Harbinger shows up here now. So now she's not just showing up to collect someone; she's also showing up to manipulate someone. And this is kind of why they have the Psycho Pirate because Killer Frost is a villain. She she normally isn't really help interested in in helping humanity so much. Uh, but she, Harbinger has Psycho Pirate manipulate her emotions and feel love. And so she he basically imbues her with the emotion of love so that she'll care more about the earth and saving humanity. Uh, but what happens in the meantime, she's like looking at um, Firestorm when this happens. So she she not only does agree to help the team because now she loves people and everything, but she also falls in love with Firestorm. And this is kind, kind of like an ongoing gag, at least through these first few issues here, where whenever they're trying to get stuff done and do things, uh, these former, uh, former feuding uh, villains and heroes are now sort of like uh, Firestorm is basically not interested at all. <laughs> but uh, but Killer Frost is is like relentlessly all over him for, for the rest of this thing. Man, when the universe is getting erased by some type of like, you know, energy shit, the worst thing you could do is get laid. Come on. Come on. Yeah, Firestorm. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the problem with uh, Killer Frost is I think you, if you touch her, you like turn into ice. So I think well, that's the nuclear that's man the can issue. go ahead and heat things up. There you go. Yeah. She's like rogue. She's like, you know, she's very tempting, but there are consequences to, to go in there. Um, we then learn through narration. So like the monitor, he monitors things. He knows things. He's like a more active watcher, I guess, and a more ridiculous looking watcher. He, he knows that Lila is going to kill himself, is going to kill him. So like, that's just like information he has. So that's just a little planting, a little seed for later. Uh, then we get this crazy two page hero spread um, where they're all in the monitor satellite, just kind of like trying to figure out what the fuck they're doing there. And boy, there are a lot of characters in here. I'm just going to rattle some of them off. We've got Cyborg. We've got the old or older Earth 2 Superman. We've got Obsidian. We've got Dr. Polaris. We've got Simon. We've got Geoforce. Let's try this one. Ramzo, what can you tell me about Geoforce? Geoforce is the prince of a fake country in Eastern Europe. I cannot remember. And he was kidnapped by some scientists in order to basically be experimented on as a super soldier. Geoforce can go ahead and pull the powers of all of Earth's elements, uh, wind, earth, fire, water, and bend them to his will. But each time he that does was very so, impressive. he takes off a small chunk of his life. Oh, I did not know that. So, yeah, I, I'm very impressed with your Geoforce knowledge. That is why you are here, Remzo. Um, Geoforce was one of my favorite characters, not only on the in like the mid 2000s Justice League run, but he was also one of the original members of Batman and the Outsiders. I think we have found the world's first Geoforce fan right here in Remzo. I, 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 I admire Geoforce. He's he's noble, he's heroic, but he's also one of these like tragic hero characters where he does so more. Maybe you'll produce a whole Geoforce episode for us one day then. Okay, I could create a better Geoforce comic book than Max Abrams can write (laughs) Spider-Man. I mean, that's a pretty low bar, but fair enough. I'm sure that's true. That should be our goal. Let's let's aim at getting a Geoforce book someday. By, by SBC DC, Nation. If you're listening, I will write this shit for free. I'll um I'll learn to ink. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think I could do 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 the art, but maybe maybe I could learn to ink. I don't know. I'm just it's just tracing over other people's stuff, right? No offense to inker professional inkers out there. I'm sure it's much more much more complicated. You're, than that. you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna get like a quill in the mail dipped in blood. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's just ink? Uh, but yeah, basically life. they're in the satellite trying to figure out what's going on when uh, these shadow creatures show up and start attacking. And uh, basically they just battle all these shadow creatures. Uh, one thing that stood out to me here is um, Dr. Polaris. Do you know what he called himself at one point during this battle? He called himself the master of magnetism. What a son of a bitch. He's not the fucking master. That's of magnetism. some trademark dispute right there. That is Magneto, all right? Magneto is the ma- master of magnetism in my world, my friends. Uh, we also have Green Lantern uh, John Stewart there, too. I'm not sure which Earth he's from. I think, I think Earth, Earth 1. He I only exists one of the Green in Earth 1. Okay. So, uh, yeah, basically they're just battling all these shadow creatures, and then uh, basically the monitor presses a button and, like, zips them off, so I, I guess he could have stopped this at, at any point in time, it seems. And then uh, as we wrap up this issue, we get a full-page spread of the monitor, and he says, now let me properly introduce myself. I am the monitor, and I have summoned you here because our, your universes are about to die, and I will say the monitor looks about as ridiculous as Ajax did in the Jack Kirby's Eternals. And he certainly didn't look any better in the live-action CD now he looked absurd yeah some things need some things need to be changed sometimes comic accuracy is not what you want (laughs) yeah i would have been fine if they went for a completely different look for him but uh that wraps up the first issue of crisis on infinite earths what are you thinking Uh, first of all i didn't ask you this earlier when did you first read this story how long and how long has it been since that time i read it in high school i don't remember much i I read it and i flipped through that obligation but i didn't really like read it, read it until last year when I picked it up in a trade paperback form. DC went ahead and did a re uh, uh, another uh, printing of this uh, to tie it into the CW infinite crisis. So I got a, a fresh uh, trade back copy with a brand new uh, Alex Ross cover on it. It was awesome. All right. Excellent. Well, so how did this hold up then? I guess it's only been a year, so it's, it, it's somewhat it, fresh it just, for you. But. It just keeps moving. I mean, I like the dynamic nature of the storytelling. Mar- Marv Wolfman and George Perez, like they're two, they're, they're a creative team that really meshes together really well and uh, kept my attention throughout. Love it. Indeed, yeah. Same with me. I mean, I think we were a little intimidated to dive into it just because there's so much here, so many characters. It is a massive story. But when you're actually reading it, it does kind of fly, even though there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot of like art to look at. Like, again, George Prez is so detailed. A lot of pages of like eight to ten very detailed panels. So there's a lot to look at. But the story itself, it kind of just does does fly by. So uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah. So on to issue two, uh, we pick up in a time far, far away on another Earth. We basically see that this caveman society is uh, is noticing that something is changing about the force. And you've got this one guy who goes back to his tribe and he's like, people, I've, I've seen some weird shit, like something is not good in the jungle hood. And they're like, bro, what do you mean? We, we ride mammoths and stuff like that. Things here usually aren't good. And he's like, wait, you got to see this. So they go over and what they basically see is that time and space and everything is merging so out of nowhere in this prehistoric forest a city from the 31st century pops up and this is where we go ahead and see the legion of superheroes um we see uh, brainiac five and chameleon boy and phantom girl and wildfire and lightning glass and colossal boy the legion of stupid names basically they're freaking out because they're like <laughs> oh my gosh look something's wrong all these cavemen people are here you got 
mammoths jumping around the city and like things are things are not good. And uh, that's when they start realizing, wait a second, our universe is collapsing in on itself. It's causing a bend in the time space continuum. So, you know, at one point, a whole bunch of like future soldiers about to shoot these mammoths. But all of a sudden the mammoths disappear and they're just like, what the heck is happening? That's when we go back to Earth One and we go ahead and see the Joker. The Joker has just murdered somebody. And before he can go ahead and escape, Batman, this is the first time we've seen Batman so far, comes in crashing through the window. I can almost hear that Tim Burton, uh, you know, uh, music in the background from the 89 Batman. Da, 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 da. It's awesome. And as uh, they're fighting, uh, the Joker goes ahead and shoots him with this um with this pistol that basically shoots out like this liquid concrete. So basically Batman is almost down and, uh, you know, the Joker could actually go over and kill him, but something happens. Something super strange happens. We see this portal jump up through the other room and we see a dying flash, a dying Barry Allen shoot through. And he looks almost like a walking skeleton. He's screaming, help me, help me, anyone, please. And then he disappears. So at this point, I mean, well, well, right before he disappears, I mean, I've, did this remind you of, of anything? This reminded me of the nightmare sequence vision in uh, yes. Batman versus Superman, where the Flash goes to the very past. much so. Uh, it's very, very reminiscent. Yeah, of I, or other way around. Yeah. I guess. I guess that would be reminiscent of this. Yeah. So basically, the Joker is freaking out, and he's pointing his gun at Barry Allen, and he's like, "No, no, fair, speedster, your own town, Central City. Tell him, Batman, he's got no jurisdiction here. It's- I, I, I love that line. It's so hilarious. He's like, what the fuck? No, I don't deal with superpower shit here. I, I just fight Batman. When is this? This ain't, this ain't fair. So uh, before he could go ahead and shoot, um, Batman quickly gets out of that like liquid concrete shit because he's Batman, and he, dispo- and, uh, he disposed of the Joker real fast, only a run over to this Flash, and he's just like, uh, what, what's, what's going on man like what's what's happening and the flash is still talking to him he's exuding this weird energy and he's like please can't you see the world i'm i'm dying it's all around me iris iris and batman's just like this is just um this is just really really weird so Flash is like, uh, Flash, like, where are you? What are you talking about? I can help you. Like, he can obviously tell, like, the Flash is between time or something. Batman has a degree of knowledge about the Speed Force. But as he starts doing that, the Flash literally just turns to ash right in front of him. And Batman actually freaks out. And he's like, uh, he's disintegrating before my eyes. Dear God, what is happening? And we see something we've never seen in Batman before. We see fear. So now we're back at the the monitor's lair, and at this point, he's like, I am the monitor, and I have summoned you here because your universes are about to die. And he basically... This, this two-page spread is just, is just yeah, insane it's, here with all, all these characters and all the Earths, and there's, it's just... Uh, there's how many panels are here? There's, like, the two long ones, and then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like, just such unique layouts from, from George Perez. to He can pack so much in, into, like, a page. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and long story short this covers the next couple pages the monitor is basically and this is more so for the reader than just the characters but he's describing how the multiverse works basically it's not like time travel it's not like parallel earths multiverses and we've covered this on the show a lot but i want to be really succinct here it's two worlds 
that are similar to each other, but they move at their own unique pace. So it's not always just anti versions of certain characters. You might have like, you know, a John, you know, we'll call him a Clark Kent here and a Clark Kent there, but they could live very different lives, experience very different things, experience very different people. And through every action that we make on Earth One, it creates these other parallel multiverse Earths. So basically what's happening, because there are far too many Earths, the Monitor is dealing with this other version called the Anti-Monitor. And the Anti-Monitor is basically this giant cosmic force that was created in the Big Bang that was supposed to basically reset the multiverse when it got too big. So the Monitor, who wants to find a way to balance it because he's been watching existence, he's kind of like the Watcher, he wants to go ahead and try and save it. So what he's done is he's pulled the best heroes and the most powerful characters from across the multiverse to band together to basically try and save existence before more Earths go ahead and get crushed by the wave of the antimatter power thing that the anti-monitor uses to basically kill Earths. And that's where we're at. Indeed, that's a pretty good summary. Thanks so Amanda. now... I'll make sense now. But the only question is, what are these guys going to do about it? They're going to try something. And <laughs> what's, what's this giant giant gorilla going to do about it? Like, that's the part that's a little a bit confounding. When you're facing existence. That's true. But anyway, uh, the guardians of Oa, of the, you know, the leaders of the Green Lantern Corps start noticing that the giant Green Lantern uh, beacon, which powers all of the lantern lanterns as well as their power rings, something's happening. And uh, it's basically imbalanced by the anti-weight, by, by the antimatter wave that's coming about so it actually blows up and knocks out all the guardians so you know that's some mean shit meanwhile uh we're back at metropolis on earth one this is when we actually see our main superman and he meets up with batman who's at the daily planet during the day which makes superman realize that some weird shit is happening and um he's awake right now holy yeah, shit he's like if batman's <laughs> out in my town in the day something is wrong so basically he gives him a brief synopsis of he just watch the flash disintegrate and talk about the end of days <laughs> and then next you know pariah uh, jumps in and he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm here. Praise heaven. Help at last. Because what Pariah wants to do is he wants to stop witnessing all this death and destruction. So he knows who Batman and Superman are. And the, for like three mini panels, they're just like, who the hell is this guy? They're, they're just, they're I, love, just I, love the, I love the tiny panels with just them looking at like, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> it's, it's so effective and so hilarious. Yeah. But basically before Pariah can say really anything, he's like, I'm Pariah and I need your help. And blah, and he basically gets pulled to go witness another earth get destroyed uh meanwhile we're back in the 30th century a full century before the legion of superheroes and what we see is we see kamadi the last boy on earth no now i think oh no okay did he get transferred to the 30th century or was the other way yeah, yeah. you're right so you're right. He, uh, he he's the last boy on earth he's climbing this tower and he's basically like you know so i'm noticing some kamandi that's his name i'm witnessing yeah. some weird shit happening uh he basically uh uh, he, he witnesses one of those shadow creatures and what the shadow creature does is it cuts his rope that he was using to climb up this tower and who saves him earth Two Superman. 
And they're basically like, hey, man, listen, we're recruiting some people for a heist. No, I'm joking. We're recruiting some I, people. I love, too, that se- se- that Superman's like, who the fuck are you? Then it's like, oh, yeah, multiple Earths. You probably met the other guy, one of the other guys. Yeah. So <laughs> so basically, um, they're, uh, they're, they're recruiting more people for the Monitor, and they're dealing with more of these, uh, you know, shadow people. But the shadow people actually begin to mimic the powers of other heroes. So at one point, they mimic um, the, the king, and then they start even mimicking <laughs> Superman and Dawnstar. So they realize that these aren't just average goons these goons are, are goons who can adapt meanwhile i love how uh, king solovar just jumps on one of them at one point and, and it's actually effective like <laughs> that, that's his power i'm a big gorilla who jumps on shadow creatures yeah at this point uh what we know is is on top of that giant tower that appeared in the 30th century that Kamandi was climbing up uh we see that this was actually a device that formed around the um the shuttle that shot young Alexander Luther Jr. into another universe. So basically it's not like Superman's shuttle that just sent him to another planet. This went ahead and sent out, you know, Lex Luthor's son from that one earth or three into a safe, um, uh, safe universe. So basically, and despite having no food, this baby is growing fast. He's like five years yeah, old. Well, now. It, I'll quickly explain it. But when he was traveling through the multiverse and everything, it messed with his DNA. So he actually ages faster. So within a day, he's already become five years old. And, uh, as they're basically, um, you know, trying to figure out like what's going on, they're recruiting more people. Pariah shoots up again before psycho pirate and he's just like freaking out. Uh, psycho pirate tries to go ahead and control Pariah to get him to, you know, tell him more. But, um, that one wizard guy, that Lantean wizard dude shoots up behind him and Arian, Arian, uh, stupid. I'll say Arian jumps yeah, up behind him and knocks out a uh, psycho pirate. Meanwhile, um, uh, they get attacked by another swarm of shadow people, uh, moving on past that, some dialogue that doesn't really matter about psycho pirate. Uh, we go back to the anti monitors, uh, layer and the anti monitors, ba- I'm sorry, the, the monitors layer. And he's basically like, you know, maybe this team isn't all perfect because psycho pirates going mad and he's fighting his teammates and he's, uh, talking to Lila and he's just like, Hey, you know, like we, we have to continue to recruit people and we have to go more places because this team just isn't strong enough. Uh, one of those people, we're going to find is the new Dr. Light it is time for me to create her. So basically what he's doing is now he's going to other plant, other multiverses to create stronger versions of characters on other planets. Uh, meanwhile, um, and, and the original Dr. Light was, I believe a villain from, I think earth Two. kind of, a kind of a villain. He's, he's a evil SOB. So basically, um, at this point he's using Harbinger to basically become more powerful, to become more omnipotent. So that way he can go ahead and have her go beyond the multiverses that even they can see and recruit stronger, more efficient heroes. And that is the end of issue two. I mean, despite the fact that there's a lot going on, somehow they're able to do everything where it's, it's actually not hard to follow. Like you can they all the characters are kind of in their own little sections, doing their own different things. They always clearly tell you, unlike a lot of modern writers. Um, yeah. I like when they tell you, okay, now we're in 30,000 BC. Now we're in this year because that can be confusing. And a lot of writers nowadays just like make you figure it out. 
I don't find that fun. Just tell me when the fuck things are, you know? Yeah. Like I, I don't, like I know some people might say, Oh, I'm, I'm glossing over a lot, but the one thing is like, there's so much in here that for audio purposes, I have to just give you the things that immediately jump out and the stuff that's keeping the story for, for, uh, further, because there's a lot of dialogue. There's a full page monologue with psycho pirate that is interesting, but it doesn't serve the grand purposes. And it just, it, it's there to give more character development, which I really like about this because with ensemble, books and with big event books like this, especially when you're bringing characters who aren't usually that popular, it's a good time to develop them. So like Psycho Pirate here actually gets a lot of development, but uh, it's a huge role. It's one of those things where it's like, for our purposes, I'm going to just tell you some, some books are worth reading. And uh, if, you know, I'm hoping that we're giving you enough of an idea and our thoughts on this, but some of the stuff, like you've got to read it to get the full experience. For sure. And, and one thing interesting about Psycho Pirate in particular is throughout the rest of DC history, no matter what crisis events occur, no matter what a version of Psycho Pirate it is, Psycho Pirate remembers <clears throat> all crisis events. And he is actually a crucial part of a lot of them. Uh, so he is a character while, while relatively minor. Yeah. Yeah. He was big in that Infinite Crisis series. I'm sorry. No, uh, Infinite Frontier. Infinite Frontier. Yeah. That, yeah. I think I called it Infinite Crisis for all of the, all of the <laughs> Popery episode we just did. Uh, yeah, Infinite Frontier. Correct. Yeah. He's big in that. He's big in death metal. I mean, he's, he, he's like this minor character who ends up serving a lot of importance, uh, throughout a lot of major DC stories. So he's definitely someone of interest. And I just, I always find it interesting that he knows everything. So the version of, of a psycho pirate that you currently see in the DC universe, he remembers this shit. He knows all about this stuff. One of the few characters that does yeah. psycho pirate fact of the day. Uh, moving on to issue number three of Crisis on Infinite Earths. We see now the monitor in his little lair along with Harbinger. They're doing tests on Alexander Luther and uh, monitor's like astounding. I've never seen the likes of your kind before in the space of what is this? In the, spa- oh, in the space of days, you have aged from infin- infancy to adolescence. So he's like a teenager now and he's just, <laughs> he's just he's just naked being held in this bubble. He's like you, you child of Earth three, son of Alexander and Lois Luther. You are remarkable for reasons far beyond your rapid aging. And he's just like, can I get out of this fucking bubble dude <laughs> um he's like wow you look at yourself child you are an anomaly positive and negative matter existing within one form an impossibility so ma- monitor basically represents like matter anti-monitor represents anti-matter and somehow because of how they shot alexander luther um through the multiverse or whatever he consists of both why does this make sense remzo because comics. because comics thank you very much uh moving along uh, so basically, uh, we are now on, uh, earth. Um, okay. Yeah, basically. Okay. So we actually see here that, um, psycho pirate has basically been, uh, taken somewhere else and it appears he is now along with Lila, um, Lila's or Lila slash harbinger is now like a double agent. So he sends Monder sends Lila off, but now she's appearing somewhere else where, so I think in, it was, it wasn't clear when it happened, but I think. I think what happened uh, before when they had that little battle with Psycho Pirate, he disappeared. That was actually the anti-monitor taking Psycho Pirate away uh, to, to, to do what him. So now we only see the anti-monitor like in shadow form. So Psycho Pirate has no real desire to save the earth or the multiverse. His no. big thing is like, you know, I'm doing what I need to do for survival purposes. He was like, this bitch gave me my Medusa mask back. So I'll hang out for a minute. But yeah, he, he quickly turned on things and now he is. So now he is there working with the anti-monitor who we haven't actually seen yet, but we 
kind of see him speaking in the shadows and we, we pretty much know who it is as is Lila, as is the harbinger. So they are both double agents. Not real. Well, psycho's not a double agent. Psycho pirate's kind of gone anyway, but harbinger is a double agent as, as it's already been referenced as we already kind of, it's been alluded that she is going to eventually uh, kill the monitor here, but they are directly now uh, working with the anti monitor. We then go back to earth one, but earth one 30,000 years in the future where we see the flash. Now, this comes off the heels of the flash number 350, which culminated the trial of the flash storyline and ended the current flash book at the time. Um, and then that it would later be re um, revamped with um, what's his name. Who's the other Wally flash? West. Thank you. Wally West. Uh, and I think Mark Wade had like the best run on the, on the Wally West flash. I'll definitely get into that at some point. Um, but yeah, Mark, Mark Wade's uh, Mark Wade's flash run is just absolutely historic. Um, so, I mean that for me, Wally West was always my flash. Um, even though like Barry Allen is the classic flash nineties, Wally West was the only flash to me. Cause the, this flash, well, we'll get there. <laughs> Let's just say, yeah, well, we'll just get there. I don't want to spoil this for anyone that doesn't, doesn't know this, the storyline yet, but, but anyway, at the end of that event, flash disappears, but where did he go? He went 30,000 years in the future to the same time as the, uh, the Legion of superheroes. So that's where he's been living, uh, for like the last month of his own life, essentially. Uh, so, but so he's, and he was basically like living the life of a non-hero. He was actually trying to just be like a guy living in the future, like not being the flash anymore but uh because of all this multiverse shit um shit is going bad there's uh you know there's random like um uh, no met, uh, weather events and such and like uh i think let's see it's like the the empire state building like from the past appears in this version of the oh no the, i'm sorry I'm, I'm looking on a different earth now i jumped ahead uh basically but yeah basically this future earth this 30,000 this 31st century earth um is starting to like be destroyed with um all sorts of cataclysms and such and as flash is running around trying to help it um, he sees this like white light, the antimatter coming right at him. He's like, it's coming right at me. Only one chance I pray to, and we don't really see what happens, but the flash does disappear at this point. So he, he escaped and went off to the 30th century and guy can't even get a month break before shit goes down again. Uh, we then head over to earth one, July, 1985, which is basically, uh, the present day. And, um, all these heroes are seeing, uh, seeing weird stuff happen. So now we have basically the, the outsiders and the teen Titans are teaming up to deal with stuff to deal with like buildings collapsing again, like shit is just falling apart on all these, uh, multiverses and all these different earths, uh, as the uh, multiverse continues to, to collapse. Um, while all this is going on, Superman shows up earth one, regular Superman, regular age Superman shows up and saves uh, wonder girl. And that's when he, along with Batman show up to recruit these heroes. Cause they're like, look, we don't actually have any clue what's going on <laughs> still. Uh, we met this weird guy. He was there for five seconds and we looked at each other confused and he disappeared. But according, to him something's going on with the multiverse and all these different earths are disappearing and i have no fucking clue what we're going to do about it but we need your help <laughs> so that is the summary of, of how superman and batman uh recruit the rest of these heroes i, I also like to like as this like white light like antimatter stuff is coming like um what's your name starfire Star, starfire is just shooting at it like just shooting at nothing and superman just grabs her he's like yeah that that just stop that's not that's not going to do anything it's having no effect um so as they're too pretty to comprehend this right so a, as they're trying to figure out what what they're going to do who appears again 
It's the Flash. The Flash is there again, and he's and Flash just sees Batman. He's like, Batman, thank heaven. I relaxed my internal vibrations. It brought me back to this time. Something's happening in the future. Everything's unraveling, fraying at the seams. And Batman, uh, with this very shocked look on his face, is saying, Flash, calm down. I, I have to speak with you. He's like, I, oh, no, no. I feel so strange. What's happening to me? And, and Batman says, that, that glowing. If I can pull him free, I've got to stop him before the image I saw comes true. Um, and at that point, and uh, there's this character, uh, Jericho. Do you know... Rebzo, what can you tell me about Jericho? Jericho is the son of Deathstroke. Jericho is mute, but he also has the ability to jump bodies between people. Yeah. So uh, Jericho basically just jumps and stops uh, Batman here. He says he can't in, in his internal monologue. We see that he can't let whatever surrounds the Flash affect the Dark Knight, too. So uh, Jericho stops Batman from basically joining the Flash, who again, he's saying, oh my God, oh my God, my God, I tried warning you, help me, and the Flash just disappears again. So basically, whatever the Flash did to escape his fate in the 31st century sent him jumping through time and apparently to different times of Batman to, to see him. So it's interesting that there is this kind of Flash-Batman connection even here as Flash is traveling back through tri- time, trying to get help, um, and and it's very reminiscent again, well, I guess it's not reverse reminiscence, I guess, of, um, what's the story line where um, nightmare where they found the button oh, the, the, no i'm the thinking button. of this recently yeah, the button called the button yeah they, they and also um in flashpoint like flash and batman are always sort of inexorably linked in interesting ways in all these in all these sort of crisis events well, what's really tragic about this and this is really my only big comment here is like the flash was always before this like the the comedic relief in the justice league he's always while he's been an adult he was always kind of portrayed as a kid despite the fact that he's a pretty serious hero to see him suffering, to see him genuinely fearful, to see him in the state where, you know, like he's just purely horrified by what's happening. It's almost kind of heartbreaking because this is supposed to be like the end of the age of innocence for DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll continue on with the story uh, in, in the third episode of this. Uh, but like it gets really tragic. And I mean, the, the Flash has always been important. We did a while uh, last year. We did the Flashpoint uh, episode where Flashpoint really made him the uh this you know a, a big part like an actual like you know he's on the mount rushmore of dc comics but you know while that definitely solidified him as somebody truly important like somebody that really matters crisis on infinite earths really sets up flash as the heart of dc and that's both good and sad because of uh you know what what's happening and what does happen later and um yeah moving along the uh we go now we now see after flash disappears we now go and see brainiac in space Ramzo, what can you tell me about Brainiac? Brainiac was supposed to be a surveyor robot, but he gained sentience and decided that humanity needed to be wiped out. But because he's a prime intelligence, he can't just go ahead and kill everything. So what he does, he goes between planet to planet, shrinking cities into tiny bottles that he displays in his Brainiac hive mind spaceship, collecting them so that way he can further research them and allow his intelligence to further grow. Uh, This Brainiac used to be formed of organic matter, but he realized that was keeping him too soft, too slow. Uh, so he went ahead and shed that more alien appearance. He, he was basically like a green Lex Luthor. And now what he's done is he's put himself into a purely robotic zombie that's reminiscent of the Terminator. So now Very, we're seeing yes. Terminator Brainiac figure out that all is not right in his world. 
Yeah, and Brainiac is going through space, like you said, kind of figuring out that things are going b- bad here. And uh, he thinks to himself, oh, Lee, oh, yeah, I know somebody who can help me out who's also pretty evil. Uh, how about Lex Luthor? So he's headed to Earth to recruit uh, Lex Luthor. And, uh, but uh, there's one panel that I really, I really like here, and it's something that's been uh, consistent over a number of characters that don't usually uh, express this emotion. But it says, um, you know, Brainiac is a living computer steeped in logic devoid of emotion. Yet now, for the first time since his conversion, Brainiac experiences fear and we also saw this with superman expressing fear who like we hardly ever see him afraid of anything batman afraid we saw flash like just in absolutely trembling in fear with what's going on so they're really doing a good job of conveying that all these characters even ones that are normally either devoid of fear or have nothing to fear because they're so powerful or you are, are creatures of logic and reason even and so they don't experience emotions all of them universally are experiencing fear over what's going on and i think that's just a it's very effective throughout these early issues here i, I love this next part we go back i'm, I'm I'm sorry, Mark, but this I I have to talk about. This. Please roll with it. Roll uh, with it. This back, is where things get crazy. Between emerging of the 30th century, the 13th century, and our modern times, and uh, basically what we see is a giant Nazi alien caveman fight occurring. But what we see is our heroes fighting these evil space Nazis and stuff. We see Sergeant Rock as well as the Ghost Tank. Do you know what the Ghost Tank is? I don't. I'm not familiar with the Ghost Tank. I know Sergeant so Rock. We've got the Ghost Tank. Tank, which is uh it's not an abrams the abrams wasn't around yet anyway it's 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 a it's a tank that's been possessed by the ghost of confederate general jeb stewart <laughs> basically <laughs> that's, that's hilarious that's why, I, now i get why he's saying okay now i see why he's thinking to himself jeb so he's he's psychically communicating with the ghost that's controlling this yeah, tank so basically wow i okay that makes this yeah, make a little I more mean, sense and and less I, sense at the d- same time depending on continuity because i don't know if it was dark horse or idw they did a ghost tank series like five years ago dc no longer has the rights to this character but depend but long story short for, if wait I, who does can I, we get the rights to this character i don't think it's it's culturally appropriate now <laughs> a second print publication ghost tank what's Come ghost on. tank about if anybody it's can about do it it's a confederate us. general who haunts a tank and basically he we helps can, we can make it about a world war ii vet or something we can <laughs> it wouldn't have the same charm then where would did it? you get the idea for ghost tank ah uh, yeah long story short jeb stewart possesses a tank <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's amazing I also I put in my notes here, like, like they're, they're battling, like they're in the middle of real world war two when they get like transported to like the 30th century or w- it's not even clear where they exactly are right now. But uh, basically Nazis are fighting amongst our heroes, amongst one of these crazy tower things. And by the way, they're just abusing the shit out of the Nazis. Like, I'm not saying I'm not uh, like, like I've defended drug dealers and such in the past. I'm not going to defend the Nazis, but I will say maybe they shouldn't be systematically abused. Like <laughs> you already said you wanted to do a comic book about Confederate general who possesses a tank. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, they're like, and they, these like these army guys are like, this is how you handle goose steppers, four eyes, and they're just beating them with the with the, the, the buzz of their guns while this other crazy other battle is going on. Uh, it's just nonsense. And of course, um, our good friends Geo Force and Doctor Polaris uh, play a big part in this battle as as well as the Blue Beetle. So there there's just a shit going on. Like it's World War Two plus Crisis on Infinite Earths is also happening in the middle of this, and it's just, it's just absolute madness. This section, this, like, this, that, this, this very long section, I should add. Talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I now get. I was so confused by the tank thing. So I'm glad, and thank you for for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, also, Ted Cord is like acting like he's just learning the Blue Beetle thing. So did he just recently become Blue Beetle? Because I believe there was another Beetle, Blue Beetle before him. No, he's always he's the first Blue Beetle. You have Jaime Reyes, who's the current Blue Beetle, who's actually the cool one. This is 
Ted Cord, who is why is he acting so confused by the powers? Has never been interesting. He's always his thing is always he's the new superhero, despite the fact that he's not new. But that's the gimmick they tried to do with him. Like he's just trying to figure. Oh no, you're wrong, Remzo. Actually, my my very fast research skills have revealed to me. No, so Ted Cord is the first DC Comics Blue Beetle, but he was a Charlton character, and that name, the name of that Blue Beetle was Dan Garrett, and Ted Cord does reference Dan Garrett here. He's not continuity. Oh, he's continuity. He must be because he references him. He references him here yeah, in see, the dialogue. Go- he's for- like, "Oh, Garrett never told me about that," or something. Like, you know, he, re- he references his name. For every ghost tank fact I know, I know something less about Blue Beetle. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, basically they say, okay, so. So what happened here, this is the, on, on Wikipedia telling me, so that's, that's my source here, but he says it, the second Blue Beetle was created by Charlton and taken over by DC Comics. So the original Blue Beetle was a Charlton character named Dan Garrett. Um, the successor to Dan Garrett was known as Ted Cord. Ted Cord then jumped to the DC Comics universe during Crisis on Infinite Earths. So this is actually where it happened. So both are true. Ted Cord had recently taken on the mantle of Blue Beetle in Charlton Comics, and this is his debut in DC Comics, flipping over from there during this video very event so this is actually his dc comics debut not his debut as a character boom we both learned more about blue beetle today than we ever knew <sighs> yeah but meanwhile <laughs> uh meanwhile sergeant rocket friends are still killing nazis <laughs> and and shooting and shooting space pirates or, or whatever the fuck is going on here um in the middle of all this stuff who shows up again those god darn uh, gosh darn um uh, shadow creatures so they show up and uh basically while this is going on like soldiers start disappearing uh and everybody starts disappearing and people are just disappearing here. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, like blue beetle, it gets attacked by a shadow creature, him and, and Geoforce and Dr. Polaris are basically, uh, you know, the main team here. Um, while monitor is kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's watching over things and seeing these events unfold and seeing more and more people just disappear, uh, during while they're trying to, they're basically trying to protect these, like these different devices that the monitor placed in these different realities and different times, which are supposed to fend off this wave of antimatter from the anti-monitor. Uh, if that makes sense. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we see a touching moment between King Solivar and Kamandi uh, as, as uh, now they're, they've become apparently very fast friends here. Kamandi being uh, sort of a jungle boy and uh, King Solivar being a very kind um, gorilla king. Uh, and they're, they're kind of having a touching moment where uh, Solivar starts to feel pretty weird. He's like, nope, uh, something's feeling weird. And, and King Solivar disappears too. So uh, characters are just sort of blinking, blinking out of existence as the uh, anti-monitor wave is sort of uh, sweeping over everything. Uh, but now we t- it's time to go to a different time. We're headed to good old Coyote, Texas in the year 1879. And the world is certainly changing as all these DC Wild West characters are, they see this thing appear out of nowhere that one of these other monitored uh, device things, these like giant towers, and they're just trying to figure out what the fuck is up with this thing. So uh, I'm going to name some of these characters for you, Renzo. Uh, here we have Johnny Thunder, who is uh, an Old West uh, speedster type. We have have uh, night nighthawk I, I typed uh, nighthawk yeah nighthawk batlash and jonah hex why don't we hone in on that one remzo what can you tell me about jonah hex jonah hex originally a soldier in the confederacy realized that he didn't believe in the cause he was fighting for so he teamed up with a union platoon to go after the general he was serving under during that time he was uh great he was almost gravely injured it went ahead and deformed his face uh 
he went ahead and basically helped the Union take over a town, which led to further victories in the Civil War. But no one ever trusted him because he had fought for the Confederacy. So they went ahead and not only basically said that, uh, yeah, you're not getting a pardon. You're not a U.S. citizen. You're basically going to stay an outlaw. And, yeah, you th- you helped us. So we'll give you a day to go as fast as you could. So basically, he's a man of no country. He's a man of no allegiances. He went on to be a bounty hunter, nonetheless, known throughout the Wild West as Johnny and he is one ugly motherfucker. Um, that's for sure. And uh, so as they're trying to figure uh, out what's up with this tower thing, uh, another group of heroes slash villains appear uh, to just kind of tell them what's going up. And and they're like, uh, it's basically Cyborg, uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern, Firebrand, and Simon. And uh, quite a hilarious line here from Jonah Hex, where he says, don't you remember the green costume uh, on that ombre? It's the same one we saw on another guy who called himself a lantern or something. Only he wasn't no colored man. <laughs> Man, we've got Confederate ghost tanks and <laughs> Hey look, Jonah Hex is a man of his time. Okay. And uh, you know, and, and John Stewart takes this very well. Uh he doesn't seem terribly offended. He's just like, sure am. <laughs> and he says, Sir am, sorry, ma'am. I'd never hurt no woman as oh no, that I'm sorry, that's uh that's still uh, Jonah Hex talking. Uh, or uh, the other guy. There's just a lot of cowboys here. Um and he's and yeah, um John Stewart takes it pretty well. He just says, like, oh yeah, I've replaced that other Green Lantern. He's like, uh they're like, okay, we just move on from this thing. And they're like, wait a if you're and this one guy's like, uh, I don't know which one he is, I'm not even gonna try to figure it out. He's like, wait, if you're not spirits who are you and firebrand's like well we're from another time but we were brought here to save our world believe me sometimes it makes a little sense to us too which is uh just a nice little rib at the complexity of, the, of this whole thing uh so as they're all trying to sort this out you know who goes who's going to show up again it's those gosh darn shadow creatures they show up yet again so now this whole group of uh cowboys indians jonah hex bounty hunters and a bunch of uh heroes and villains displaced from time and space are battling these shadow creatures um amongst all of this uh john stewart notices that his power ring has ceased has ceased ceased, <laughs> ceased has ceased ceased his power ring has ceased to function um so maybe that has something to do with what we saw earlier um with the guardians or maybe it didn't it's hard to say because there's a lot of shit going on here, my friends. Uh, basically, in the end here, um, we uh, yeah. So just just like with the other scenes here, as they're battling these creatures, um, everybody just starts to uh, to disappear. Uh, basically, here uh, we then go back to Metropolis in the uh, 30th century, and um, yeah, the Legion of Superheroes are kind of discussing what's going on. We have Dream Girl, and she's thinking to herself, "Well, I never did dream about this shit." I guess that's her thing. She dreams and and like sees the future, but she never saw this thing coming. So, um, and uh, basically, once again, as we've seen elsewhere. Things are just going white and people are disappearing. And then uh, right as this issue wraps up here, we see these various Earths uh, disappearing or various time periods disappearing. Uh, Ancient Atlantis, the Old West, nothing is spared as the Mander watches on and he laments to himself. Instead of days, only hours remain. The Earths are doomed. Still, my machines are in place. My agents are at their posts. It's time for my plan to begin. And then we hear a voice off panel say, wrong, old fool. It's time for you to die. And it is harbinger who has arrived to fulfill her destiny to kill the monitor Remzo, what do you think going into issue four Some here? Wild shit. Obviously, Harbinger is not really happy if this whole recruit all these losers things. So she's just going to go ahead and be <laughs> like, you know, maybe we do need a restart. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So I'll let you take it away on issue four. 
issue four goes ahead and starts in uh, Metropolis, what we see in our current time on Earth One is that all the power's going out. You see this giant white antimatter wave coming towards the city, and Supergirl is trying her hardest to try and make do with what she can with what little she knows because she hasn't been recruited yet. Uh, she goes over to Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, on top of this rooftop, and Barbara Gordon's just like trying to figure out what's going on, but she feels helpless. And Supergirl's like, hurry, we have to do something. And Barbara's like, listen, girl, you could do what you want, but like, I don't have superpowers. I, I'm, I'm horrified. I'm literally useless right now. And Supergirl gives her a pep talk. She's like, Barbara, look around you. There are firefighters, paramedics, cops, people who are trying to do what they can to maintain order and protect people. All the shit is going on. You're not nothing. You could do something and something matters. Meanwhile, uh, a plane in the sky is about to fall down. So Supergirl zips off in the sky to go take care of that. And there's our first introduction to Supergirl and Batgirl in this series. And uh, as Batgirl is watching Supergirl fly off, she's like, she doesn't give a moment's thought to herself or her own safety. Yeah, I know she cares if she lives or dies. She's a hero through and through. And while all I can think about is what will happen to me, my God, will I become? And that matters too, because Supergirl, um, who's who's had more of a presence recently in the DC comics around this time, is also one of those characters who represents the heart of DC, the optimism, the hope of DC heroes. Uh, meanwhile, mm-hmm. we're at East Hampton. Uh, the estate of Steve Dayton, the world's fifth richest man. He's got a friend over, and that friend is John Constantine, the Hellblazer. And Constantine, because he's a warlock, sorcerer, whatever you want to call him, he he knows that something is happening, and he's just going to drink and smoke and let it happen because uh, this is obviously something far out of his control. So when you've got Constantine basically saying, I've got nothing to do with this, yet you know it's bad. Meanwhile, Pariah shows back up on this other Earth, and what we see is that uh, this other hero... This guy's such a bummer. Always just shows up screaming about universes dying. Yeah, basically, he gets uh, confronted by this guy who's the king of this planet named Lord Volt. And Lord Volt is like, stranger, my my analyzers discovered your presence here on Earth. I am Lord Volt. Why do you attack us? What do you want from us? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm pariah. I'm not the one you seek. I have nothing to do with this. Uh, meanwhile... Um, and these are once again characters from not a, not a DC multiverse. These are uh, coming, I believe, from like an, an entirely different type of Earth. Yeah, basically, basically Lord Volt has a family, uh, the royal family. They all have superpowers. And long story short, is they're trying to basically try and uh, fight this this wave, this uh, this I want to call it the annihilation wave. It's something different. This antimatter wave. What they realize is that they're powerless. So literally, uh, the entire royal family is watching all their siblings sisters brothers everyone is dying and then eventually the earth this earth just gets destroyed it's just another excuse to show that uh that that something is just an excuse to kill more characters because yeah. <laughs> lord lord volt dies and then i think lady quark somehow gets lately gets pulled by this guy named lord Carrack, and he has the ability to jump between universes and time so he saves her ah. before they are the last ones to get destroyed she's like no leave me be let me die with my family please please don't and he's like i'm so sorry but i have to you, you can't die if I can save, but my own life, my eternal damnation will be eased much more. So basically they shoot off to somewhere before that earth gets annihilated. Basically. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we're back at the anti monitor. I'm sorry, at the monitors, um, lab. And this must take place. I mean, this whole, this whole series is not necessarily in chronological order because we're dealing with different time periods, but suddenly the monitor's fine. So I guess like, 
they showed us what's going to happen, but now they're going back and showing us what happened. Yeah, I'm going to skip the next part with a Jito master, I think, because it really doesn't matter. Basically, see a bunch of these scientists in Japan and they're they're witnessing other planets just completely disappear. And uh, that that's a thing. Meanwhile, we go back to. Well, the, the important part of this is that this guy, this one scientist's daughter disappears her name is Camillo, and she will return later in another form but uh basically we we go back to the anti-monitors uh place i i know that is correct and um yeah. what ends up happening is the anti-matter is basically looking around and he sees the red tornado basically disappear and everyone's disappearing and at this point uh psycho pirate is just like you know um these people are just going to die. Why are you grabbing them? So basically the anti-monitor is recruiting his own people thinking that he could go ahead and recruit them to also fight the monitor who's trying to stop the anti-monitor. And, you know, at this point, even though he's a robot, um, Red Tornado is still a hero and he's just like, uh, what what the hell am I doing here? So he's like, what are you doing to my earth? And the anti-monitor is just like more than just your earth android. Now come, we have a universe to destroy. Uh, meanwhile, killer frost and, um, sir, Justin, one of the knights of the round table and Firestar are now, <laughs> I just love how, how Firestorm is so just constantly annoyed by, uh, by killer frost being in love with him. He's like, God damn it. Why did psychopath make her fall in love with me and just take off? Yeah. Like now I got to deal with this and, chick the um, whole time. You know, Vandal Savage is there, the immortal caveman, the immortal man. And he's just witnessing all this. And he's just like, I've, this is obviously like, I'm evil and stuff. But I've got nothing to do here. So I'm just going to watch all this shit happen. Meanwhile, we see, uh, this giant black creature come up near that giant tower where, where Alexander Luther was found. And he's just like, he's like all the shadow creatures combined and he destroys the tower. Meanwhile, you've got all the Western heroes and cyborg and his crew watching this and they're just horrified. Oh yeah. And this is when Kamiko, the new Dr. Light suddenly appears and she is there to basically be the foil to the anti-monitor because while he's all darkness, she is the new Dr. Light. And uh, that's why she was zapped out of, out of her lab on her earth. So now all the heroes are here. They're fighting the anti-monitor and they've they've actually gotten to the point where they're like oh my gosh we could actually like fight this but the but the the monitor is just like you know maybe we're too late we don't know because he's already destroyed so many earths he's so powerful uh meanwhile we get back to the end of issue three where harbinger jumps in and at this point uh she's attacking the monitor because she's just like um i'm i'm done with this you you raised me to do all this but i don't believe in it anymore you're you're freaking dead so she basically from what we can tell she kills um the monitor but at this point uh the anti-monitor is still killing earths and at this point pariah jumps in and he's just like i if if the monitor's not here what the hell are we gonna do i like how he's just like what what the fuck has happened (laughs) like he did he just showed up here and then this other chick shows up and kills the guy that brought him there so he's like oh oh, yeah and at this point pariah can tell what's happening because we get two pages of just screaming but no words and all the heroes and all the earths and all the timelines looking up and what they basically see is that all these planets of all these multiverses are colliding and falling into this white nothingness and in the last page it's just smoke and nothing and it's it's one of those areas where it's like you let the art speak for itself the art is speaking for itself and that is the not a word of dialogue in the last almost three pages end of issue four yeah and i like i mean this is this, again, I say reminiscent, but this came first of um, an Infinity War uh, when um, Thanos first snapped everything out and you see just heroes disappear and you're like, 
whoa, shit, I guess they're all gone. And then, you know, so this kind of leaves us on another cliffhanger. Only four issues in, and we've apparently seen the multiverse die. So it's a, it's a, a fitting way to end, I think, the first uh, episode of our crisis month. Again, that will be this and the next two episodes of this uh, podcast. But uh, I guess we're going to hold off our official yeah. grades till the whole thing's over. So we can just we can just kind of give our, our general thoughts. But I'll just say, um, you know, I think we put this off for a long time because it's big. There's a lot to it. And we didn't want to gloss over it. So we wanted to make sure we kind of cordoned off the proper time for it. But for a dense story with a lot of characters, Characters when you when you take it all into context, it actually flies pr- by pretty quickly, and and it even though it's complicated, it's not that hard to keep track of. Actually, I I, I remember thinking it was more complicated, and it is complicated in the in the sense there's many characters, there's di- many different universes, but considering all that. It's kind of easy to follow. They they show you what's going on. They they you know the monitor is basically your, your universal narrator. You have these other characters that we learn everything that's happening through the characters. So that's like the purpose of Pariah. It's the purpose of Monitor, and it's just setting us up for. It, it seems like this is the event already, but it's really just setting us up for the next eight issues to come when you know the real story is about to really kick in. Yeah, I mean, just so much has happened here, and each time I read this, I I, I just read something or I see something, and it connects to something else later earlier in the series. <laughs> But I mean, like Ghost Tank, I swear to God, Mark, I've read this. I've read this thing twice. And this is the first time I've noticed Ghost Tank. <laughs> I, I, I barely even noticed the first time. Yeah. But uh, man, it's a uh, man. We're going to have to rank all the characters at the end of this. Oh, <laughs> and Ghost Tank is going to be in the conversation. That's all I know. Easily. <laughs> He's in it for like two yep. panels, but Ghost Tank is there. So uh, so no grades for these. But if you want to hear the next two parts of this crisis uh, month before everyone else you should support us on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash secondprintpod. We pour our hearts and souls into this podcast, into creating this community for you guys where you can get a break from all the nonsense going on in the world today and just hang out with us and talk about comics. And we have an absolute blast doing it. And we have even more fun in the Patreon and the Second Print Comics Fan Zone, our Facebook group for patrons only. Have some great conversations there. And there's just so much fun for patrons. Why don't you tell them all about it, Renzo? Well, folks, we've got exclusive shows. We have Claire Continues where Mark covers all the stories galore his dark I'm just going to say I have not done that in about six months, so I'm just going to call it the defunct Claire continues. I've, I've moved on to other projects now. Oh, it may come oh, back. Yeah, just, I'm sorry. It's what Mark missed. You see, folks, we've got so we go. many spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs. We can't even it keep matters. track. Yeah, we re- recently released a, a potpourri episode. Uh, you can go ahead and tune into that right now. Uh, I'm going to the post office when I return back to Wisconsin. I'm sending out some hardcover graphic novels to our $25 patrons at the epic crossover level. Um, a few weeks ago, we went ahead and did our SPC villains episode, which is an idea from our friend Eric, who's at the Kirby Club level of $50 a month, where you get everything prior, the calls, the graphic novels, the bonus shows and stuff, but you actually get to produce an episode. And we will have another Kirby Club episode later this month from uh, our newest Kirby Club member, Jeffrey. So oh, I'm excited what, about that what, one. what did he want to do? Let's spoil that a bit. We're going to we may as well may as well promote it since we already know um, he's going to be uh, we're going to be continuing with the max. So we did the first, I think, four issues of the max very early on in this podcast. And he wants us to do uh, basically the next volume. Yeah. So if you want to produce an episode of the show, tell Mark and I what to cover. You can go ahead and join us at that Kirby Club level. All that and more. All the fun and galore at patreon.com slash second print pod. Indeed, indeed. And that's going to wrap it for this. The first of three issues looking at crisis on infinite earth it's a big month here in december for us here at SBC. so uh, we hope you enjoy the ride as much as we do and until next time we just have one final parting request and that is to read comics and change the and change world. the world
Good night, America. Adios. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.